knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. Welcome to the Truth From A Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Spartan Forge. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 306. Today, I'm joined by my good buddy Cameron from Exodus Outdoor Gear, and we're talking early season success from the ground and more. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. It is, it is almost that time of year. It is actually my uh, my favorite time of October. Um, for whatever reason, we've talked about it at length on a bunch of different podcasts. But this kind of week is probably my favorite outside of you know whenever I get to travel to go somewhere you know in November this year, Kansas. You know that second week of kind of November. Um, I actually prefer it even more so than the last week of October, um, during that classic kind of scrape week, if you will, if you've got a few little gem spots identified, uh, this week can be a, uh, a killing week. If, if you will, there's a spot, uh, in particular that I've had my eye on, I've stayed out of, I haven't been in at all this year. Um, 
have some trail cameras. I have a cell camera in that spot just kind of doing the work for me. And usually I have a good deer in this area, but this year, I mean, I have one, maybe two. I can't tell uh, whether it's a, the same deer, two different pictures of the same deer or two de- two different deer. Either way, they'd probably be kind of typically borderline for me or maybe even a pass. Uh, but this year, you know, I'm just, um, I'm not flush with big deer locally. Like I've, like I have been in the past. Um, so either one of these jokers show up this week while I'm out, uh, they will, uh, hopefully taste the, uh, the tip of an MMT arrow tipped with, a an afflictor broadhead. So that's the, uh, that's the plan. I did get out this past weekend. As I mentioned last week, I was, I don't know what I caught last week, man. I caught the creeping ninja. I had vertigo for like a week straight. It was awful. Finally got enough of my balance back that I could go out Saturday evening and hunt, um, which I would have preferred to have been out in the morning because it got kind of warm later in the day. Um, the morning was nice and crisp. I think it was, you know, low 40s when I woke up on Saturday morning. But uh, I ended up hunting this one area that I hadn't, I've never hunted. I've had, I ran a camera in it last year and there was some good intel for really the later part of this week, um, you know, that like 20th, 21st type of time frame. there ended up being a couple of decent deer that showed up there last year. So that's kind of when that party gets kicked off in that area. It seems like at least from what I've seen last year. And so this particular spot is, uh, there's no tree, there's no climbable trees in this spot. Um, so it's, it's a ground hunt if you're going to, if you're going to hunt it. And I really wasn't feeling like getting up into a tree, um, given that I just kind of my balance still wasn't all the way back. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out and hunt, you know, tonight, but I'm just going to do a ground hunt. I need to check that camera anyway. We'll go in and put on a hunt. So ended up seeing a deer as soon as I got in there, walked in and there was a doe, uh, kind of meandering her way through. Uh, if I had been in there just a little bit earlier, I probably would have tried to try to kill her, uh, to be quite honest. Um, but we, she was kind of moseying through this edge as I was kind of getting in there. And when I saw her, she was probably 35 yards away, but you know, I had a ghillie jacket on and I had plenty of foliage and grasses and stuff around me, but there was no opportunity for me to kind of get into a position without blowing my cover. So I just kind of let her move on her merry way. And then once she was out of the way, then I went and, uh, then I went and got set up. And then Sunday, no hunting in PA, of course, or at least, you know, this, you know, we have a handful of Sundays, but not this Sunday. So I ended up uh, going out, doing a bunch of scouting, um, put some miles on and checked a bunch of cameras, moved some cameras. And man, other than, (laughs) Other than uh, one particular spot um, that I'm probably going to try to hunt this week, uh, there's I got I got nothing. I got I'm snake eyes. So I think that's the plan for this week is to get out maybe a couple mornings. Might even uh, take a take a day from work and uh, hunt one of these days because we got a nice little cold front coming through. I think it's going to start on Tuesday. Really, we got some rain coming in on Mon- uh, this past Monday push through and then a nice little temp drop, uh, for Tuesday, Wednesday. And I don't remember how long it's going to hold on. I, I looked, but I, I don't recall off the top of my head. And so then I think the plan is to, uh, take the first travel trip of the year. I've been trying to get one in the past two weeks, illness befallen me, the one I couldn't go this past weekend. The temps were just going to be a little bit warm. So I wasn't going to waste a, a travel trip for, you know, less than ideal weather. So I think next weekend will be the first trip, go to the North piece, you know, if I don't make anything happen this, uh, this week with this cold front, um, and go up, uh, North and try my hand up there. Cause I know that there are some good bucks up there that we have on camera and have an idea where they might be spending some time and stuff like that. Um, so we'll go, we'll go make a, uh, an attempt at those, 
at those fellas this this coming weekend. So with that, not going to belabor this up front. Just going to kind of jump to it. Um, have a good buddy Cameron on. Cameron, uh, if you don't know, how he, he runs the podcast. That's uh, part of the Exodus Outdoor Gear Network they have going on. So he runs the Deer Gear podcast. He's also the fellow that does a lot of the handiwork. If you've watched any of the Whitetail Crib stuff or any of the stuff really that is on their YouTube channel, he has a heavy hand in in all of that. And so I actually got to know Cameron a couple years ago uh, just from you know the outdoor show together. And then I was in Ohio last year out and worked a couple of days out of the Exodus office as Chad and I were getting ready to head to Kansas. And Cameron's just one of those dudes that over the past couple of years, and we, and this a lot of what we talk about is just, he's kind of really evolved and just pivoted his hunting style just in general. And almost, I would say like a complete, you know, 180. Um, and he's one of those dudes now that's just like, that is consistently just finding and getting on deer and killing deer, whether it was in PA. Uh, he's had a ton of success in the past two years in the Dakotas. And we t- spent a little bit of time talking about that because he's really kind of, he's really kind of grown to love that open country glassing hunting from the ground. I think this past season, so 2022, he killed a, a giant on the ground and we'll talk about that, a giant uh, velvet buck. And then in 21, he uh, killed another good buck in the Dakotas. Only I think that one was out of a saddle. So, but it's still that glassing game, finding where they're going to be and then trying to like, you know, map them or pattern them to a degree and set yourself up where they're, where they're going to be based on the Intel that you have. And so he's really kind of, been digging that. So we talk a lot about that and we talk a little bit about gear. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. As always, want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I've got a uh, a first time offender on. Man, it's been, dude, we should have done this so long ago, but I've got my good buddy Cameron on from Exodus Outdoor Gear. You might know him as uh, as Camera the Cameraman on, uh, on Instagram. <laughs> or you might know him as like Exodus's in-house killer. What's going on? <laughs> What's going on, man? Thanks for having me. I think we hit yeah. this at the right time. Yeah, yeah. That's what that, that. Hey, we'll go with that, man. I, I had this all planned out. You know, <laughs> it's <laughs> no, but for for real, it's like we've known each other for a good while now and have spent time together and and stuff like that. And and I can't believe I always say this with certain buddies of mine where I'm like, I can't believe it's taken me this long to get this person on and just for whatever reason, like schedules. And then, you, you know, it's 52 weeks seems like a lot of weeks until you're trying to get like all your buddies on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. It, it surely goes fast. I remember last, uh, I was trying to get you on my podcast as well. Last year you were actually in the office and a big deer showed up on my camera and I was like, Clint, I got to go hunt the steer. I know. So. I know. It's like, how bad is that? We were actually in the same location, same spot, <laughs> and we still couldn't make it happen. But hey, yeah. that's what that's what happens. Like, you know, whenever you uh, run a hunting podcast and it's during the uh, prime time of hunting season or getting close to prime time of hunting season, you know, you got to just kind of be flexible. And if your buddy says, hey, I got a deer that I think I can kill, it's like, man, you just you got to let him go try to kill it yeah. <laughs> and figure yeah. it out later. You know what I mean? Right. So how things been going, man? What's uh, what's new with you? What's shaking? Uh, not a not a whole lot, you know. Just uh, focusing on Ohio and Pennsylvania early. But to, truth be told, I I have put very little effort into um, around home because mm-hmm. I have an Iowa tag in my pocket this year, and yeah. I did go out west in North Dakota in um, September. So yep. my planning for home. I basically just planned on using annual data strictly 
for um, the around home, whether that be trail camera photos or just sightings that I've had myself. I, I keep a little notebook of when I see what deer. And um, when you work for a hunting company, you get a lot of time to kind of, um, well, at least in my position, I'm very flexible. I, I'm, I'm blessed to get a lot of time to hop out of work here if the weather looks right. And in past years, I've had some good encounters early at a particular farm. So I've been focusing there. I'm actually there right now, uh, mm. setting up to glass for tonight, just over overlooking a, a field that I, I usually catch some deer feeding out in. But um, yeah, actually this year is going to be a lot of annual data around home and stuff like this, like glassing more and in-season scouting. You hear like the Andy Mays of the world talk about how they scout so much. And I'm trying to adapt that as much as possible. I just always feel, I feel so wrong walking mm -hmm. through the woods in season and not having my bow in my hand or not planning to hunt. So I'm trying to adapt that as well as possible. But tonight I'm just going to sit on the glass. And that's what I've been doing for a lot of evenings as the weather hasn't been right or the wind hasn't been right. So that's right. basically the, the plan going into this year. Nice. So, I mean, I, I'm a big, you know, and it's been in, in part to, you know, you and Chad and just you guys in general that, you know, I definitely am a fan and use a lot of annual data, especially, especially locally, you know, for, for a bunch of, you know, a bunch of obvious reasons. This year I'm kind of forced to just because I don't have, um, I don't have a good deer on camera right now and I haven't seen a good deer when I've been out hunting and I'm similar to you the last I think so far in PA I've had as we're recording this because Cameron and I are recording this on I don't even know what today's date is I think it's October 5th that's it. um yeah and so as of I mean the weather's been kind of crap recently because we got all that rain that came up through from after that uh pressure system moved through the floor uh, through Florida and stuff but you know I had been out I think three times now and basically have spent those three hunts just scouting Yep. Because I don't really have a a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of <laughs> as far as deer are concerned right now. And so I've spent most of my time just, you know, the first kind of method is kind of scouting to locations that I was at in the postseason mm -hmm. that I thought were good. And maybe I have a camera close by and I want to check the camera. But also, you know, I spent a lot of time this past off season marking like feed trees. And so I wanted to go back to those at some point, you know, late September, or early October to see what was dropping and where. Sure. And man, for me, every single white oak that I've found or that I, I marked this past off season, not a single one has dropped a single acorn. Like there's that, not an acorn on a tree. <laughs> that, it, that I'm in, I'm in a similar boat. This it's the properties that I have to hunt around home and the public ground the acorn crops it's not there's not a lot of acorns when they're even in a good season and this year i'm struggling hard to to find acorns and i'm on i was the property that i'm at right now the deer are actually eating red oaks right now because there are no white oaks available there's no agriculture there's no beans uh so they have shrubs and the, there are some red oaks and i was scouting recently and then i texted you that the other day i was like hey clint I think I have a chance to kill this deer. I was actually scouting the day before and we, we got a cold snap and I did end up seeing that deer. He's like a 140 class deer and that's what I saw him doing. He was he was eating red oaks. That's, hmm. the, that's the only thing available to him right now. 
Um, so that's what he was feeding on. And I would have never, without scouting right now, I would have never went and looked at the historical red oaks. And right. I just came across it glassing him, and I was like, "Where? what is he eating over there? And I went and looked, and there's red oaks. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm even hard-pressed to find those right now. Like, last year, it was it was bananas. I had acorns of every variety you could imagine in all these different all these different locations that I've marked. And I'm just coming up with snake eyes now. Now, I did scout this past weekend and hunt for a few hours. I scouted a large part of the day, and then I actually set up for a few hours in the evening once I kind of got to a, a spot. So there was this area that I had a, had a camera. It's a fur piece back. Like when I say fur piece, it's probably like two miles even just to kind of get to the camera. And then I, uh, there was an area that I scouted in the postseason, but I didn't spend a lot of time there because it was actually an area that I kind of knew of. And like when I got there in the postseason, it was at the end of a day and I knew it was like a two mile hike back to the, to the truck from that spot. And so I just kind of found like a spot. I was like, oh, I'll hang a camera here and I'll check it in the summer and see if I get anything. If not, then I'll, I'll move it. You know, so I didn't spend a whole lot of time there necessarily. And so when I went back this past weekend, I went to that spot specifically and took that camera down and was, it was moving it. and was just kind of working my way around this one edge that's there. And there's like a, there's a stream that's there and stuff like that. And I was kind of following that. And I came along a like, so this is probably one of the more promising spots that I found because I did find, like, a, a trail where, like, there's some habitat that starts to pinch. You can clearly see how the deer are moving through here. And then there were two scrapes that opened up, which is pretty early, which I found pretty promising. Yeah. And there were a, there was two white oaks that are there, and there were a few. And when I say a few, I mean, I don't even know how I saw them. Like, <laughs> white oak acorns on the ground, but they were so freaking small. Like, just so immature. And I don't know if like we had like an early frost last year or what, and that, that anything that did survive just isn't a whole lot um, or what the deal is, but they were so small and there weren't a whole lot of them, but it's literally the only thing that I've, that I've seen to this point. So I kind of marked that and that's actually where I set up and hung a camera on those scrapes and hunted the rest of the evening. Didn't see anything, but that's like the one spot, you know, local to me that I feel like is promising that I'll make my way, I'll make my way back to maybe even, you know, this weekend we'll see. Yeah. Did you hang a cell camera there or a regular camera? I didn't. It was just a regular camera because that's what I had on the tree that I took it, took it off of. And I had all my cells out in, in other spots. But, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I wish I had a cell camera up there because <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a fur piece to get into. And I'm like, man, I really don't want to ha- I don't want to hike that just on a whim. Yeah, that doesn't sound. I mean, yeah, it, without seeing a bunch of sign there. But if you saw some scrapes there, it's definitely something something to pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah. My other game plan is to head north. Um, cause I know I got a good crop of bucks up there. So I think that actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it's probably my plan for this, this weekend. Cause I know we're going to get a nice little weather, weather change here and get cold. And so I'm thinking I'm going to head up there and throw some, uh, throw some hunts. Cause I don't know why, man, but my cell cameras that I had up there, like all of a sudden, like they just started popping off. Like just like a couple decent bucks on the cell camera. I mean, I know where there's some decent bucks in other areas, but this cell camera is just popping off where I'm seeing like a lot of deer movement, abnormal increased deer movement, like in, especially in this particular area where there's like, there's some movement there typically not a ton, but all of a sudden it's just like every day I'm getting movement in this camera. It's the big woods too. So it's not like, yeah, that's kind of rare. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like, well, I should maybe investigate that. I wonder if there's like a, a, a hot food source. It's kind of like back in that particular area that all these deer are kind of, you know, navigating toward, but we'll see. 
So your plan is to just to do some, continue to do some scouting and see if you can't get up on something. Yeah, I'm not putting too much, uh, too too many eggs in this basket. My girlfriend hunts as well, and mm-hmm. this time of year I like to. She's n- not nearly as like she's not picky at all. She'll shoot anything, so I like to hunt with her, and uh, she really enjoys it. So we we go out early in in the months, and when the weather's right and the wind's right, and we play our cards right, and she usually gets an opportunity at something early. So I I typically give up that part of my season to her. Uh, scouting for her and running cameras and stuff like that. So I don't put too many eggs in this basket. But when the weather is like primo and I do have an opportunity at uh, a better caliber deer, I I usually will take that opportunity. So I've just been scouting a bunch more. I haven't, man, Pennsylvania, I haven't bought a tag yet. I haven't put, I don't know that I'm even going to hunt Pennsylvania this year with that Iowa tag because Mm -hmm. if, like I said, in my position, if, if the weather looks right, I can jump over there and, um, if I don't fill a tag, then I'm, I can keep going back. So I'm going to focus on that tag and I'll probably hunt Pennsylvania in rifle season or late season, but I haven't, uh, really even thought about hunting over there. When you get right. the right weather though, like this weekend, I'm like, man, I should go up there, but I have no <laughs> clue what's going on. I don't, I don't right. plan on it. So I have some, some deer that I can hunt here around home that I'll probably chase. There are some spots on some of the public close to the office that we have historically had good Octobers, like Mm -hmm. that October 16th through the 19th have been pretty good on a couple particular scrapes. Last year they were kind of dead, but the crop rotation changed. So this year is going to be the same as uh, October 18th last two years ago. We had like a 190 inch deer on camera. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to investigate that a little bit this weekend. The weather looks right. So I'll, I'll probably hop over there, but for early season, yeah, I'm just kind of playing my cards right until I can get out to Iowa. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of earmarking those dates that you kind of mentioned too, because that's when my historical data at least around me locally really kind of kicks in. So that's kind of what I'm waiting on. There's a couple spots as long as I have the right the right wind, you know, I'll be in those areas on um, on some specific dates around that time and see uh, and see what happens. And that's really kind of like my that's really kind of my play for around for around here because I really don't have much else to go on at the at the moment. Continue to scout and just try to find sign and and hunt it and and see where see that where that lands me. Yeah, but uh, I I really wish that cold front that we were getting this weekend came like a week and a half from now. <laughs> a week and a half from now. Yeah. 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 I know because I, I was looking at the forecast and it's it's supposed to crank and I couldn't see any further than like maybe next Tuesday or whatever. I think is what it was, but I mean, we're supposed to have a day. It's like going to be like 86 or something like that. Just, Jeez. yeah, just like stupid warm for this time of year, which, you know, when you're heading into mid October is not what you want to be seeing. No. And especially like when you're talking fronts and stuff, I've, I mean, I haven't, I've only been bow hunting for seven years, so I'm not the gospel here, but my experience has been a cold front mid to late October is a lot better than a cold front early October because everyone always yeah. talks about the October cold fronts, but if it comes too early, it's not as exciting. Right. Yeah. 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 Cause last year I feel like it was timed just like, we didn't get like a big cold front. I don't think like around the middle of October, but if I'm remembering correctly, cause I was out, that's when I had my best encounters last year and should have killed those two deer that I screwed up. But the, uh, it was just kind of like overcast and it, and, and the and the temp just dipped a little bit just to kind of make it like a chill 
you know yep. what I mean? And just like with a little bit of like light mist and precip and it was just like for a couple of days and it was like, I had the best, the best encounters of, you know, two shooter bucks, but then just in general, just encounters with deer in general, like they were, they were on the move and it was perfect. Cause it timed up with the days that I really wanted to be, um, to be, and I got lucky where I got the right winds too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, does, doesn't hurt, but so, you know, I know you mentioned Iowa a couple of times, definitely a little, uh, Definitely a little jealous because that is a fun hunt. Hopefully I'm back out there next year, but I'm stoked that you and Chad both drew this year. But I want to talk a little bit about what your plans are for Iowa and how, how that's shaping up. So you got you have tag in hand, and where are you planning to hunt out there this year? So we drew a not-so-sought-after uh, tag. It's in a unit that doesn't take as long to draw, mm-hmm. and... In March, we went to the Iowa Deer Classic, and then after that, we spent some time scouting some of the public in that area. And uh, it's a river bottom kind of scenario, uh, mostly like pheasant country, I guess you'd mm-hmm. call it. And then there's one piece that I'm, I have like 10 cell cameras out there right now that we hung. I went back out in July, and there's one piece that had a lot more terrain. There was, there was some more topography there, some more structure a little bit of ag, river bottom. It had almost everything, but it was like, it's really small. But we hung, I actually have three cameras on that piece, and that has been the, the most activity that I've had. But um, the my plan is to go out there late October or the second, I'm going to go out late October. If nothing happens, then I'm going to go back out the second week in November. So where I hung these cameras isn't necessarily in places that I expect to be getting pictures of them right now you know so right i can't base too much off of what i'm seeing on my trail cameras right now but um a lot of the sign we found out there in march on the public was it was pretty impressive i mean it's not um south iowa it's not southeast iowa it's not like the mecca but Mm -hmm. um scott buckley who um a lot of listeners probably know he lives in that unit and he has scouted that public out a little bit and he's given he's given me some good intel so my plan is to go out there hunt that public the last the last week of october or it earlier if the weather looks right and i'm gonna stay with scott and scott actually owns like 80 acres there too mm-hmm. so um if need be i will hunt the private if, if a big one shows up or public's not nice. going well i really do want to do the iowa public ground hunt and yeah. that that's my goal, but I'm not, I mean, I don't care if I shoot them on private ground or public ground. Yeah. I mean, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. If there's a big deer somewhere to be killed and you know of him, regardless of where he's at, try to go kill him. Right. That's, that's the plan. But the, the, Iowa, the public is going to be a lot of fun. Chad drew the same unit. Um, I got a boat working, so we're going to take a boat cause it's just a big river system. Uh, the plan is to kind of take it, a little bit how you guys did in Kansas glass a lot and Mm -hmm. I'm going to hunt, I'm going to hunt from that boat a lot. So it's going to be a mixture of what you guys do in Kansas and Missouri Um, Get glass as much as I can the first few days, figure out what's going on and then drive that boat up and down the river looking for sign, looking for deer. It's open country. You know, it's not like I'm not going to have to glass into timber. If there's deer moving around, I should be able to see them. There's some places that offer some good vantage. So my first few days, that's probably what I'm going to do is glass, glass, glass. Unless my one of my cameras is like, no, there's a deer right here that you can go. Um, he's over here. But 
that's right. that's probably that's what I enjoy doing the most. And this is going to be my first time actually being able to hunt in the rut the way I truly enjoy to hunt, which is glassing, spotting, getting the visual, or just being ultra aggressive. Right. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Like it's funny because <clears throat> I think a lot of if, if people haven't hunted Iowa or been to Iowa, traveled to Iowa, or, or been at different kind of like sections of Iowa, they kind of get this uh, maybe false kind of perception of what it of what it looks like with these like rolling bluffy hills, like timber, you know, ridges with like you know secondary ridges all coming off of them, stuff like. And you certainly get that, and there's plenty of that to be to be had there. But you definitely get into places that are um, way more open country than you would than you would maybe initially think, you yeah. know. And so it it does offer some. And I, I'm not going to say it's as open as like Kansas or Nebraska or, or whatever. But you definitely can find large swaths of land that is, uh, I won't say easily glassable, but sections that you can you know glass and play that kind of aggressive glassing game you know and i think a lot of folks think that's like nope it's just you know get into a tree and you know find a pinch point and hunt it's like well if that's what you want to do you can do plenty of that there yeah but there are you know other options i love the idea of like the boat like that's just such a such it's such a fun way to hunt um yeah you know and just in super mobile and it i don't know i think some of those travel hunts too that yes, you, you enjoy the hunting and you love that, but like part of it too is just being able to kind of, I like what I really liked about Kansas was being able to be on the move a lot yeah, and just seeing a lot of different stuff, you know? Um, and to me that just made it that much more enjoyable. You know, it's like, I'm fine with going and sitting somewhere and, and, and waiting, but there's, there's an added element where you're actively like pursuing Yep. You know. uh, th that's what draws me the most to it. I mean, I'm not going out there to have the same experience that I can have at home. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll just do that at home. Uh, the, the caliber of deer, the age structure of deer, yeah, that's all different and that's great. But I want to go out there and hunt a way that I can't hunt normally. And mm -hmm. that's what I'm looking forward to the most. And I'm going to do it like ultra aggressive, like mm -hmm. rattling antlers, like things that I cannot do here. That's what I'm going to be doing out there, and it's going to be just for the experience, the the decoying. I'm going to be, I'm going to throw it all at them. Yeah, dude, that was the one thing. Whenever I was in Iowa, that kind of blew me away was how effective rattling was. Like uh, rattling out there was way more effective than it was in Kansas, in my opinion, at least. So it actually, it actually is, because you see, like you watch it on YouTube or TV or whatever, and they say people hunting out there say the deer cannot, they just can't handle it they have to come investigate so is, mm -hmm. is it actually that way oh yeah yeah dude i, I mean i it was on it was unreal how many times i would crack the antlers and like you know it, it wouldn't be like i cracked the antlers like you're hunting on a ranch in texas with a feeder where you crack the antlers yeah. and it's like two minutes later you've got like three bucks standing there but it's like i would crack the antlers and do some calling and like and i'd sit down in like 10 15 minutes you know all of a sudden boom out of nowhere there's a you know, 125 inch nine point standing there, <laughs> you know what I mean? Where you're like, Hey, where'd you come from? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's wild. You know, how much they respond to, um, or at least in my experience, like, look, I, I've been there once. So anyone who listened listen to this, that had a different experience, I'm not telling you you're wrong or that I'm right. But my experience out there was there was, there was rarely a deer that I would see that if I called to it, 
that I didn't get a response out of it. That's Whether, incredible. Yeah, like the best one was, geez, I don't even know. It might have been the second or third day I was hunting this this piece of public. So I went to like a different spot, a little a little deeper into this uh, area I had walked through with John when I was out there scouting, you know, in, in March or whatever it was. And um, John actually had hunted that before, and he said it was actually the place where, not far from where I was set up, just in that general area, the place where he had seen the biggest deer he'd ever seen on the hoof. Oh, wow. Like just like a giant. And I didn't go there because of that. I went there because the wind was right. And I kind of wanted to go down and just kind of like check it out because I like, I liked the setup. And so I got into a tree and uh, I cracked some antlers together. And all of a sudden, you know, 10 minutes later, I hear something coming from behind me. And I just kind of like peek around the corner, you know, just kind of like, you know, try to like do one of those like slight head movements where I don't move a whole lot. And I try to look behind me <laughs> with my <laughs> eyes, you know, and, uh, and I saw a buck come in and it got out in front of me about 20 yards. He was probably like 120, 125 inch, you know, uh, nine point, like a younger deer for Iowa, you know. Um, and uh, he came in and was standing broadside at 20 yards for like, I don't even know how long, looking around <laughs> for that deer that made the noise. And then he went up on this little like bluff. There was like just this little embankment he went up on. And he just spent probably like a half hour back there. I could watch him pacing back and forth in the brush, just tearing up trees. And so, I mean, I was having fun with him because I would just grunt a little bit, you know, and he would get pissed off and he would start raking trees again and stuff like that. And then I would snort wheeze at him. He would snort wheeze back. And he finally came back in to like 20 yards again, like all bristled up, like walking sideways and shit, getting all tough. It was, <laughs> it was like the coolest thing, you know what I mean? Like I'd never seen like I never heard those types of deer vocalizations before and never had, had never seen a deer quite, quite that aggressive. Like I've watched him lay down some signs and stuff like that, but not like that dude was pissed, you know? Yeah. Um, which was just a really cool experience. That's what I'm looking forward to the most. That's Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com That's like the, the, the ideal for me is just to have the good experience. The age caliber of deer is going to be a little bit higher than what I'm used to. But I'm also not in the business of managing Iowa public ground. So if I see a deer that gets me excited and I have the hunt that I want to have, I'm going to fill the tag. Yeah, 100%, man. Like that's, I, I think, I forget, I think it was actually on you guys' pod, or on the uh, on the Exodus podcast, I think. Jason Jake Michael? Asked, well, no, Jake was asking me, he was like, what was your favorite place to hunt? Uh, you yeah. know, and I said for experience it was kansas for deer behavior it was iowa yep because like the deer did everything you would want them to do when i when i was in iowa and i had seen on that trip like this i i'm look i'm really looking forward to talking to you when you get back one because i hope you feel a tag but two because i just want to see what your experience was like compared to mine as far as you know what i had mentioned to chad and jake was that i felt like i got like a like a, like an advanced like degree or certificate of deer behavior on that trip, because I got to watch so many mature bucks do stuff. Yeah. 
whether like not all of them were in like bow range that I could shoot, but I had seen so many deer that were like, you know, 40 years old or just say three and a half year olds or older, right? Cause around PA, it's like, you've seen a three and a half year old, like you're getting close to the top, at least for the area that I live in, but of the age, you know, the age structure and, um, and just being able to watch, you know, three, four, five-year-old bucks do buck stuff and be able to be within range of seeing them do that, it was just super cool watching how they come into a scrape or watching how they wind check, like, to come to a little spot. Like, that's the area I killed mine in. Like, it was from the one deer that I'd missed <laughs> multiple times. Watching how he was using this one area is what is is why I set up where I set up the next day and why I killed the deer that I ended up killing. Yeah, that's so cool. That That is the experience that I'm wanting to get. And that's what I've always told everyone. What I'm looking forward to most about hunting out there is hunting deer that act like deer or mm-hmm. like hunting deer that act like how you hear on podcasts or like what people talk about, the strategies that you can use. I'm just looking forward to hunting them in that way. And yeah. ho- hopefully they do act that way for me in this area because I don't, I don't know anyone that's hunted this area, so we'll see. Yeah, I know. It'd be interesting, you know, because, I mean, the good news is, is that most of Iowa has low pressure, comparatively speaking, you know. Yeah. You know, people from Iowa may say that there's more pressure now than there's been in the past. But, you know, for two PA guys slash Ohio guy, you know, going out there, it's be like a night and day difference, you know. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not expecting I'm not expecting to see like pressure that I'd consider high pressure. Right, right. And so they definitely act more. um they definitely act more deery and uh, like you get away with just a little bit more, sure. you know, in, 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 in my, uh, in my experience, not saying that, a you know, a four and a half year old deer out there is still hard to kill. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, I hope that you get at least one like Iowa experience. Like my Iowa experience was like walking through this CRP field to the top of this knoll glass in this draw thinking that, man, that'd be a great place for a deer to bed. <laughs> and this is what told me that I needed to start working on my ground game. Cause I spent some time glass and didn't see any deer picked my bag up to start moving. And he was literally bedded 60 yards from me looking in my direction. Cause oh. I didn't play the wind right coming in and jumped up and took off. And he was probably 180 inches. Oh. Like just a true, like Iowa giant. Man. And I, I don't hope that he runs away from you. I hope you kill it. <laughs> but just, <laughs> so that wasn't the point of that. But I'm hoping that you get that like that one like classic where you see like a true Iowa giant. You know what I mean? Because it's just like one of the coolest things to see is just a a deer of that caliber. You know, in his environment. You know, being a being a buck. You know, it's just it's the, one of the coolest things. Yeah, I'm really I'm man. I hope so too. My fingers are crossed. Yeah, but uh, so. So how much, I guess, like, as far as the place that you're going to, that you're going to hunt, like what's, what's your feeling about it? Like, you know, as far as like the sign that you had seen and and like the intel that you got from Scott and stuff like that, I mean, do you feel, do you feel, you know, do you feel good about it? Do you feel like they're, you know, classic kind of rut spots? Is that what you were kind of focusing on knowing that the time, you know, the time you you were going to be going out there? Yeah. The, the sign we found was, was definitely rut sign. Um, we did find some community scraping, so that last week of October time frame, I'm going to focus in on those areas. Mm-hmm. But um, Iowa public ground is just managed in a different way than what I'm used to, too, because we came across, like, turnip fields, and there's soybean yep. fields on the on the public ground, and um, it you could really hunt it any season you wanted to if you focused on the right things. But the, obviously that year, the time of year when we're out there in March, the sign 
the scrapes, the rubs, that type of stuff is way more evident. So mm -hmm. that's what we were kind of drawn to. And we were mainly scouting two particular oxbows that Scott had been to in the past. And this was before he even moved to Iowa, which has been 10 or 11 years ago. But um, he was like, you should check out this area and this area. And we found a, like a lot of sign. It, mm -hmm. it wasn't, set, like, like I said, it's not southeast Iowa. It's not like you find rubs of the size of your hamstrings on every tree. But right. um, we did find a lot of good sign. And um, it's just a, the one spot in particular. It's just a classic river bottom cruising spot. So, like, you set up in the pinch points between the river and then maybe a, a funnel of trees or where the... the ag field meets the trees there's a nice funnel along the river hunt the oxbows those types of things see it's classic it's classic rut sign classic rut cruising areas that i plan on hunting uh found a ton of doe bedding areas in those oxbows so i have a my, my onyx is just like littered i went back out in july as well and checked some of the cameras that we had on some of those scrapes and they were still being hit mm. and um a shed bucks at that time so i couldn't right. tell what they were but i feel really good about it man i think chad and i are going to go out there and have like a pretty fun experience and some of the other locals they've watched some of the content that i've done and they they figured out where i was at and i've had people sharing pins with me like hey a couple years ago i drew that tag and um i shot a 160 here and i, I shot this deer here and they're sharing pins with me so um not that i like looking for those handouts or those pins and I'm not going to not go check them out. You know, I'm going to go check right. them out, but I do want to have that experience that I did it myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, yeah, man, I, I feel really great about it. Yeah, man, that's that, that and not to sound all like hippy dippy, but that's one of the things that makes a hunt like kind of, I don't want to say extra special, but when you do get that, um, when you have, when you're part of the right community, Right. Like like you are right where you have people who aren't uh, trying to gar hole you or, or, or whatever, you know what I mean? Like people who are like, hey, man, you know, here I want to here's the intel I have. Take it for what it's worth. You know, yeah. I had a guy out there that I that I met. His name's Corey. He's been on the podcast before. He actually killed a hammer last year where uh, where I was hunting. Yeah, I, listened I to actually. That. Yeah. He, super good dude. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Forrester kind of by trade. I think that's actually what he went to school for. And so I actually met him on the way out. We were actually hunting the same piece and we parked at the same spot. Like I got there early and I didn't see a truck. He pulled in next to me. He was hunting a big deer that wasn't far from where I was hunting. And uh, we came out and we just kind of struck up a conversation. And he was like, oh, you're from PA. You know, how long are you here? And I was there for like two weeks. And uh, he was like, hey, have you checked out over in this area? And I said, well, I had scouted like a, a piece that was kind of like, you know, northeast of, of the area that you're talking about. But just in general, I've been over in that direction. He was like, Hey, you might want to check out some of this stuff around here. He's like, cause I've had some buddies from out of town come out that have seen some really big deer over in that area, like for the past several years. And I was like, okay, cool. And that was actually over in that general area was where I ended up killing my deer. Oh, that's awesome. You know what I mean? And so, and, and then I made a light, you know, I made a, uh, I made a buddy, like he and I still talk, you know what I mean? This to this day. And like when I draw a tag to go back out, like, you know, I'll let him know and we'll get together and we'll scout and hang cameras and just, you know, that's one of the cool things is when you get to meet people from locals from the area that want you to have a good time and experience it. Like that's the, that's the cool part as opposed to the locals that, you know, might slash your tires. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
luckily for me, that's that's Scott Buckley, which is, um, in my opinion, like one of the the better bow hunters in the country. So oh man, yeah, I'm Duke, I'm super, Giants. I'm super lucky to have him on my side. Not that he owns a farm in Southeast Iowa, so he doesn't spend a ton of time where I'm gonna hunt. But um, if he tells you an area looks good, you should probably pay attention to it. Take it to you can take it to the bank. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So, man, I, I want to move on to, to talking just a little bit about, um, you know, the fact that you've really just kind of been on a tear the past few years. So I was joking with, uh, uh, oh, shoot, I can't remember who I was, who I was talking to. I made, I made the joke. I was like, as like, Hey, as like, it used to be back in the day. Like if, you know, the Exodus running Exodus joke was like, if you needed a big deer killed, it was like, you needed to call Jake. I was like, but now I was like, all you guys are killing big deer. Like, (laughs) you know, it's like last year you guys had, had an awesome year. You're off to an awesome start. You know, this year, Chad killed a bull in, in, in Idaho. So, you know, you know, I I wanted to talk to you a little bit about and just understand, you know, cause I know you and I've talked about this a little bit offline, just in hanging out together, whether it was me out at your office or hanging out in Harrisburg or whatever. But I know that you've slowly started like adapting or, you know, your approach overall. And I feel like it's really been like the past like couple years, maybe even just like since you started working at Exodus. And so I want to just get a sense first of like, is there anything you started doing differently that you can start to attribute to the success that you're starting to kind of enjoy now? Or how did your, did your approach change? And if so, how did it change? Yeah, it changed a lot. Um, you know, so I'm a young bow hunter. I've only been bow hunting for seven seasons now. Uh, I've hunted since I was really young. And when I started bow hunting, I was hunting as if I was rifle hunting. Mm-hmm. And it was a I would hunt the same stands that I was rifle hunting. And I, I would hunt preset stands. And um, if I felt squirrely, I'd put a climber on my back and try to hunt somewhere. But I always was hunting in areas that I was like, I, I need to be able to see a lot because I had that like rifle hunting mindset. Right. And I was like, well, I can shoot him if he's way over there, but not really because I have a bow in my hand now. So my first bow season was 2016. And um, I hunted the same way right up until like right before I started working for Exodus. So before I started working for Exodus, I got um, more into the content of deer hunting and Mm. I was filming for a group called the time in which, you you know, Dan Bayes ran that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I was, that's how I got initially interested in like more serious hunting, more serious Mm. bow hunting. I found their content and then one thing led to another. I started finding like the hunting beast and the hunting public. And right around that time, Exodus had an internship open up and I took that job. So I went from, like a traditional PA rifle hunting scenario, set stands, ladder stands, um, private by permission ground that everyone and their mother can hunt. And then um, I was super frustrated with that. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not, this isn't fun. I'm not having fun. I'm not seeing deer. I'm not having these encounters that everyone's talking about. And then I talked to some friends that are in the area too. And they have the same situation. Like they, they're not seeing deer. They're not having these encounters. And I'm like, everyone else is doing this. There has to be something that we're doing wrong as the culture in this area. Like there has to be something different. We've got to be hunt, hunting them in a different way because there are deer here. 
So um, I just adapted being more mobile. And I know it's like beating uh, a dead horse everyone's talking about now. You have to be more mobile. Your encounters are going to go up. Um, but not only have my encounters gone up, and I, I, my encounters have gone up, but not like tenfold. But mm-hmm. my success has gone up because I'm able to be a little bit more methodical with the way I'm hunting or why I'm hunting in certain scenarios. Or I'm basically the if I had to boil it down into like a sentence, I'm just hunting where the deer are. I'm not mm-hmm. hunting what's right for me. You know what I mean? Right. I'm not. I'm not hunting what's comfortable. Or I'm not hunting where I can see a long way. I'm not hunting because the tree's the right tree. I'm just hunting where the deer are. And whether that's being in a tree stand, whether that's being in a saddle, um, what most of the time I'm on the ground because that's, I'm just moving through and finding the right sign. Or I'm getting set up in scenarios where I'm like, okay, I know there's deer in this area. They're hunted in the air a lot. And I'm going to just go on the opposite side of the trail on the ground and they're not going to, it's going to be like a blind side, you know what I mean? So right. if I'm, if I had to boil it down into like a, a scenario, it's more out of the box thinking, but it, it's going to them and not waiting for them to come to me. Right. So you mentioned hunting on the ground. I know you and I've talked a little bit about this cause it's something that I started adding to my repertoire, not just, you know, being in, when I was in Iowa, I did it a little bit. Certainly when I was in Missouri, I did a fair amount of it. And then Kansas, of course, was like 98% on the ground. And it's just, it's one of those things that I really, really, I really, I just really enjoy that approach. So I know what, I know for me why I like it, but I'm curious, you know, what is it about hunting from the ground that you like? Because you and I have talked about this a little bit offline to where we were both kind of like, man, if I could hunt just one way, someone said I could only hunt one way for the rest of my life. I would want to hunt in scenarios where that was my, my setup more times than not. So I'm just curious what you like about that approach. There's a few things that I like about it. Number one, your opportunities are endless, so to speak. You, if you, There's not many scenarios where I can find where I'm like, man, I just can't hunt on the ground here. I'll mm-hmm. make it work in one way or another. I know that cover is a big aspect of it, but you can make your own cover. And we can talk about that later when we go into what my North Dakota hunt because that's what I ended up having to do. But um, I just, there's just nothing like being ground level with a whitetail. It's just the experience, the rush, like being on their level. You're not up above them to where they can't see you. Like you are on their level. It's an even playing field. And like the encounters go way up. The encounters are way cooler. Um, It's just, there's nothing like hunting a whitetail and killing a whitetail from the ground. It started for me in a blind. I started, mm-hmm. like, the first opportunity I got at a buck in the ground was in a blind. And I was mm-hmm. like, man, that, that was so cool. Like, I filmed it, you know, and I was like, man, he's looking right at me. And, like, but I'm in a blind. So I was like, well, next step is to get out of this blind. And that's when I started, I found the hunting public, and I really gravitated toward the way Zach hunted. And mm-hmm. then um, recently, I guess after the hunting public, I found – Whitetail Adrenaline because I filmed a Whitetail Cribs episode at Jared Scheffler's house and I was like, man, like this is what I have been doing and this is what I've been trying to emulate is how these guys hunt. So that's that's kind of what, what sparked it for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the just the, oh my God, just like being on the ground with a Whitetail, there's just, it's unexplainable. It's, it's the ultimate rush. 
Yeah. It's, I got that, that taste of it last year in Kansas on the, so Chad killed his deer and he, he, uh, I think we hunted for like a day or two days after that together or something like that before he had to leave. And then I think I was there for like two days solo before I had to, before I had to bail. It was on like the last, next to the last day of the hunt. And I was on the ground and had, you know, one of the bigger bucks that I've ever been in that close a contact with while I was hunting. You know what I mean? And had him at bow range and just couldn't, couldn't, you know, seal the deal. He caught a little bit of my wind down in this little draw he was walking down into. And I just didn't have the, the wind I was supposed to have. And I've, I've told that story, but, but that close encounter, I mean, that, well, the couple that I had on that trip, that was kind of the thing that sealed it for me too, where I yep. was like, I was like, man, I really want to beat them at their own game on the ground. Now, I don't force it, you know, like I'm sure you don't as well. It's like if the be- if my best setup in a spot is for me to be in my in a saddle on a tree, then I'm going to get into get in my saddle and get into a tree. 100%. You know, um, but if I'm looking at a setup and I'm like, man, I can be like marginally in the game in that tree or I can be in the game but on the ground over here, I'm going to be in the game on the ground. Yeah, you know? I I agree. Another thing that really um, I gravitate towards it because people think they can't do it and they won't hunt in areas where you have to hunt on the ground. So in pressured areas that we're in, people aren't going to hunt in the scenarios that I'm going to put myself in because they're like, oh, I got to be in a tree stand. I got to be in this tree over here. Uh, but mm-hmm. the deer are over here. That this yeah. is where you this is where you're going to need to kill them. I'm like, well, they're they're unkillable. So yeah. that that's another like the opportunities are endless. Yeah. What was the um, hardest thing for you to adopt is uh, related to related to really kind of you know hunting on the ground and finding finding success on the ground. Well, Say outside a- the outside the blind. What was like the hardest thing for you to kind of like uh, hurdle to overcome to kind of like you know to to know that you're being effective at it. There's a few things. Uh, the first thing that I struggled with is I thought I needed a lot more cover than I actually Mm. found out that I do. Um, The cover that I'm looking for, I found it's more important to have back cover than front Mm. cover. Uh, You need some type of horizontal cover and some type of vertical vertical cover. Like that's the most ideal scenario is where you have both. Mm -hmm. Um, Like maybe horizontal cover in front of you, vertical cover behind you that will break you up in some way. But Mm. I was always searching for areas that it was almost impossible for me to even draw my bow because I had so much cover. Right. And I, that was like the first hurdle was realizing that I don't necessarily need to be like in a ghillie suit in the woods. Like I can get away with not having as much cover as long as I can draw my bow and I can be in a scenario where they can't see me when I draw. That's like I'm okay there. Um, right. And the second thing was something that I learned hunting with Dan Infault in Wisconsin. And it was something that he told me. And then I was like, oh, that's what's been happening to me. You're, mm-hmm. you're, the way that you have to play the wind is a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. Your wind carries different from the ground rather than you, it does in the air. Like your scent cone travels differently and your thermals do different things when you're on the ground. You don't have the advantage like when you're in the ground you can get in some scenarios where your scent can drift over top of deer when you're on when you're on the ground you don't have that so marginal winds on the ground are more marginal and um you can get away with having 
the wind in your face more on the ground than you can in a tree. Typically when you're hunting in a tree stand scenario and you have the wind directly in your face, the wind's wrong for the deer at that point. Right. Unless, in, in most scenarios, you know. Yep. But on the ground, you can get yourself in scenarios where you're closer and you're in positions where deer are feel safer and they'll walk with a tailwind. So you can get away with some more things on the wind, with your wind in those scenarios. But just like the way it carried, the way my thermals kind of pulled up in certain areas, it doesn't um, travel as far when mm -hmm. you're on the ground. So that was the, it was a learning curve that I didn't even know I was learning until yeah. Dan, Dan was like, no, hunting on the ground sucks because your, your set doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Right, yeah. That was, again, that was the hard lesson that I learned on that final hunt. Um, it was, what you said, like, just rang super true, where a marginal wind in, in a tree is tenfold marginal on the ground. Yeah, it really <laughs> and, is. You know, that particular day, I was set up in a great spot. Had I been in a tree, I'd probably kill that deer because he was so close to me that my scent would have just drifted right over over mm -hmm. top of him because it wasn't the wind that was screwing me. It was my thermal yeah. was wanting to fall down in this little gully. And um, I was supposed to have, I forget what direction, just call it a north wind. I was supposed to have a seven mile per hour north wind that day, which if I got that north wind, it would have actually been perfect because it would have pushed my thermal like another five yards up in front of where that deer was going to pop out and bought me the three steps I needed to stick an arrow in him. Yep. But as it, as it laid, you know, on the ground, especially not having that help from the wind, my thermals were just going to drop down, kind of spread out on the ground and I was pretty well screwed. Yep. You know, but yeah, that's interesting, man. Cause I think I've kind of noticed the same as you where I, I used to kind of focus on finding probably too much cover. Mm -hmm. Um, and now I'm more like, I'll try to find like a little piece of brush to kind of tuck in, like almost around a corner. Yep. You know what I mean? To where it's like, I can kind of see deer coming from this direction and I'm kind of exposed on this side, but by the time they get there to expose me, I'm already drawn and they've got an arrow. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So I agree. I think, you know, a little bit, uh, don't need quite as, uh, as much cover, but I think drawing at that optimum moment, that's the part that becomes like, it becomes critical. Yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot harder to. Um, you have to be drawn back longer sometimes too, yeah. hunting on the ground. And I practice a lot um, shooting from my butt, like shooting seated, because mm. I'll find myself in. I can't sit on my knees that long. I just can't. And to be still, like I, I just can't do it. I got a buck in front of me right now. Um, nice. But I, I just can't sit there on my knees as long. So I, I practice sitting. Um, seated and that that was another challenge too is like just being comfortable and mm -hmm. practicing but for, since i've been hunting on the ground um i've hunted i've killed five bucks from the ground in uh i guess whatever f four seasons and nice. three of them have been under 10 yards and <laughs> two of them were like under five yards so the there was another hurdle where you're practicing shooting a lot closer targets because yeah. um the day that you and i were supposed to record in ohio i put an arrow in a deer that night and yeah. I, sh I shot him from i don't know 10 10 steps like super close and i hit him super low because he was so close my arrow hadn't even started raising in its trajectory yet 
where I hit them. So it was that's another thing that I learned the hard way. Yeah. Yeah, we, we all learn a lot of hard lessons. Yeah. <laughs> that's typically it's typically the way it uh, it works. But uh I wanna I wanna change gears here, man, to your uh uh North it was North Dakota, right? North Dakota hunt? Yes, sir. Where you're, yeah. So you're two for two the past two years, right, in North Dakota, right? If I I'm am. not mistaken. I am Yeah. So that feels that feels pretty good, right? Gone out twice, brought home two filled tags. Yeah, two two um well I guess Trip, two trips to the same area, but both like DIY scenarios. Before we went out there the first time, never been there, just picked a spot on the map. Uh, we got really lucky with the area that we um, picked. Not that I guess most of it's luck, but um, whatever e scouting that we did just turned out to, to have a lot of really nice deer and the, um, zero pressure, just like no people at all. The landowners are super nice out there. If you find a piece of ground that looks nice, chances are you can go knock on their door and they're going to let you hunt it. So I just got uh, super blessed with the area that we we picked out, and I was able to kill back to back years my biggest buck to date. Nice. So what's a so it's, this is all kind of e scouting, right? That's kind of what the that's how you found these places. You didn't you didn't go out and do any scouting, you know, prior to either trip. No, I'd never been, I went to, well, the second time I had been there the year before, you know, I went back to the same right. area because we right. had so much success. But the first time, yeah, it was just, um, North Dakota was in a big drought. So I focused on just putting pins on the map in areas that had a lot of water and had a lot of public access. And right. um, that's about the extent of the e-scouting I did though. I, I don't like to really fall in love with certain spots on the map because i know a lot of guys get themselves in trouble with that where Mm -hmm. they're like no this is this is the spot that i e-scouted and there's going to be deer here well i had spots picked out like that and we spent a day in that area scouting driving around didn't see the sign we needed didn't see the deer that we needed so we drove four hours north to the next pin that i had and did the same thing and we were just going to keep bouncing from pin to pin to pin until we found found what we needed but um it was just focusing on the e-scouting that I did was just focusing on finding a point on the map where it had a lot of water and a lot of public access that we could drive around and cover ground. Right. So when you get out there and you finally get to the spot that you're going to hunt, right? Like what, what was your approach? You know, I know this past trip you had a little bit of intel because you were out there the year before, but if you could just talk a little bit about just in, in general terms, you get there, you find the spot that you want to, uh, the piece that you want to spend some time on. Like, how are you going about finding, you know, a, a target deer or the caliber deer that you might want to, that you might want to chase? Sure. So both scenarios or both years were kind of set up the same way where we gave ourselves two days before the season opened to mm-hmm. kind of drive around glass at night. Uh, like th- the season opens on a Friday. So Thursday we're hanging cameras in areas that we think are going to uh, ag fields you know the way it sets up out there is very much a lot of agriculture and um i'll give you a little stat here we were talking about iowa earlier not being like or having a lot of timber but having some open country Mm -hmm. so i was listening to meat eater trivia a couple uh weeks ago and they listed the top five least timbered states like the amounts Mm -hmm. the states that have the least amount of timber on them and I don't remember the exact order, but it was North Dakota, I think, was number one. Then you had wow. Nebraska. Then you had Kansas. Then you had another state. And then I, 
Iowa was number five oh, wow. on, on states with the least amount of timber. So if you talk about like areas that have great bucks and great hunting, Kansas, Iowa, and the top, Nebraska, those are like the top states that have the least amount of timber. <laughs> but um, anyway, this area in North Dakota, like you don't have trees. There's like, there are no trees. So the cover that's there for them is either standing corn or cattails. There's a, a bunch of cattail sloughs, and that seems to be the preferred bedding. Um, hmm. And that was that was local intel as well, because we, we were like, where the hell are these deer <laughs> at? And uh, we were talking to some people that were in the camp with us, and they're like, if you um, find your find yourself an area with cattails and you have green beans, you're going to have deer there. So we started focusing on those areas. The like the plan has worked out the same way the last few years where the first night we just drive around and we're just trying to glass bean fields like okay there's bucks here 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 the next day we go in there hang cameras in those areas that we found the deer and um that next night which would be the night before opening night we'll find we'll pick out a spot that we think is the most interesting and just glass that particular spot and see get a visual on what that deer wants to do you know um, and both times I had found a deer that I wanted to check out and Trey, who I was hunting with out there did not. So both times on the night before the opener, Trey was driving the roads again, trying to find more deer. And mm-hmm. both, both times it just so happens that he found more than I did sitting still. So covering ground is the best thing to do out there. Just drive around and cover as much ground get tabs on as many deer as you possibly can and for me on an out-of-state trip i want to be in an area that has the most deer possible i'm not necessarily looking for 160 caliber deer i want to shoot a respectable deer on a short trip like that so i need to be in an area that just has a lot of deer so that that was mainly the plan was to cover a bunch of ground um and then just get visual and early season like that visual for me is not just one time i can't see a deer do something once and have confidence that that's what he wants to do again i need to like watch him a couple times and that's what both both scenarios both years like wednesday night thursday night friday night i'm glassing 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 saturday i'm moving in for a kill and it's happened the same the same way both years nice so talk to me a little bit so you find this deer on this last trip glass him up watch him get a pat get a visual on him a couple different times get a sense for what he wants to do and then when you finally move in for that kill what's that setup look like and what's that how's the how'd this hunt play out well let me back up just a just a hair here on how we found this location um this was a spot that we were driving around and it it was actually butted up against um government land and Mm -hmm. in north dakota non-posted private ground is fair access you can hunt it if it's not posted right and um there was a piece of non-posted private that bordered this government land and this government land had these draw systems that look like just went down into a lake and then all around that lake saw cattails on top of the draws standing corn and standing green beans so like that draw was holding a lot of deer the cattails were holding a lot of deer the standing corn was holding a lot of deer the beans we were not able to see from driving around, but we picked out some spots on the map and hung cameras on that. So the camera intel was what told me that the deer were there, not necessarily the glassing there. 
Okay. So I want I want to make sure that um, I, I mentioned that the, the spot it was the spot like I would pick that spot one hundred times out of fifty if right. I could like that had everything in the world that we needed so I didn't necessarily need to sit there and glass I just hung cameras on the most likely spots for them to enter the bean field and sure enough we got the intel we needed so right. um, the way this laid out. There was a main draw system that, if you're looking at a map, was west of the it was west of the green beans, mm-hmm. and it would have been southwest of the standing corn, and um, we had some easterly winds while we were out there, so the bedding worked out to where they'd have the wind was blowing from the beans over their backs in those draws, and they're sitting on the the draws looking over top of the lake almost Mm -hmm. so um we got a camera hung on that main draw system and it's if it's really hard to imagine but there was it just the way the terrain funneled there was one point in that bean field that you just could look at and be like that's where the deer are going to enter all the Mm -hmm. thermals would drop down into that it's the path of least resistance like it just it just worked out so perfectly and um the access worked out really well as well because I could hug the draw was there was a quite a bit of terrain there so I could side hill the draw to where I'm not exposed to the beans and I'm not exposed to the standing corn because I imagine there'd be deer bedding in the standing corn as well mm-hmm. and then when I got above the draw that I imagine those deer being bedded in my wind was like just off enough and I entered at like two o'clock so I didn't imagine deer being up and moving. Um, at that point, they could have even had their eyes closed. You know what I mean? They're not really expecting a bunch of danger. So I had uh, a wind that was like just sneaking away from where they would catch me. And I got up to that spot and I was looking for, again, the setup, right? Mm-hmm. No trees anywhere. And what I had planned in my head was I took a T-post in with me. And I took some zip ties and there was like some brush in that draw. And I was going to set up with that brush behind me. Um, and then I was going to take that T-post, cut a couple clips off that brush and zip tie them to the T-post in front of me as my little bit of front cover. Mm-hmm. And I got set up like that and I, I sat down. I was like, there's no way I can shoot the beans and I won't be able to see them in time to shoot them in the draw. So I got back up out of that spot and... There was a buffer strip of, and there was like some ragweed in there. There was some sagebrush in there, and that separated the corn from the beans. And it was to the north of that draw, okay. and I had I had a south wind, so I was safe. Like my wind was blowing into the standing corn, but it was blowing into a part of the standing corn that I did not anticipate deer coming from. But even if they did. I wasn't really necessarily concerned with that because in most scenarios you have to give something up, right? Yeah, so exactly. I, I was okay with giving that up. And um, as I was w- moving in there, I, I saw some some really fresh rubs. Some deer were, were out of velvet. And the mor- that morning there was like a 140 class deer on that camera. So I was mm-hmm. like, well, that's where I'm going to go um, that tonight. So I got set up whatever, like 2 o'clock in that buffer strip. And that buffer strip of weeds was like, if I'm on my knees, 
kind of level with my head. So my shoulders are covered. My head is covered. I don't have anything exposed behind me. And then I just stuck that um, T-post in the ground in front of me because I anticipated the deer working. Like I, I stuck it on my left shoulder and I anticipated the deer coming from my left. So if I had to draw, I had that T-post there with zip-tied cover to it um, to cover my draw. Well, um, that's basically how it worked. I had a doe come in, like, I had a doe come in, like, freaking 10 feet from me, worked across (laughs) that, uh, she walked right in front of me, and she actually bedded down, like, 15 yards below me in that draw. And um, as soon as the sun went down, I'm talking like as soon as it went down, my thermal started dropping right down to her and she busted me and she went blowing to all heavens, all right through that draw that those deer, I anticipated those deer bedding in. And it was like 7.30 and I was like, oh my God, this is over. You know, this is, right. this is not what I wanted to happen. And I didn't, I didn't anticipate my thermals working the way they did like i was saying the way i was on the ground i thought they would do something else and they didn't anyway um 30 minutes before dark i see a deer come right up out of that draw right where i thought they would into the beans and it's a mid 40s eight point hard horned and i'm like oh my god and I, I said this on um our podcast like i don't know if anyone else does this but i talk to myself out loud when i'm running and i said like oh my god i'll shoot that deer and i like clipped on and i was ready to draw back and the deer i shot steps out i'm like oh my god like like full velvet just beautiful 10 point and i'm like holy shit and then another one comes out i'm like oh my god this was a like a mid 40s 10 point full velvet i'm like maybe i should shoot that one and I'm like going back and forth. I'm like, oh my God, what should I even do? Lost, just, <laughs> dude, lost my freaking mind. And I'm sitting on my ass 30 yards from these deer. And they're like, they're, my shot had to be quick because the, the field had some terrain in it. And the way they entered, like I knew they weren't just going to stand right there. Right. So um, I start to draw back and the hard horned eight point like kind of kicks the 10 point that I wanted to shoot like hits him and mm-hmm. i was like what the, what the hell is going on and that deer the eight point turns and faces me and the 10 point faces straight away from me like texas hard shot style and i was mm-hmm. like man that's the deer i want and i was at full draw for like 45 seconds which isn't that long but it's it's getting there you know long enough yeah yeah and i was like maybe i should just let down i have a bunch of cover they can't see me and i started to let down and i got like a quarter of the way down and he turned just a little bit. Like, if you imagine the deer looking away from, directly away from you, and then taking a side step and just turning his head all the way around, and mm-hmm. the motion that he has to do that, he gave me his shoulder. You know what I mean? Okay. Yep. So I just put the pin on him and, and, and drilled him. And it was like 33 yard shot and uh, like hardcore quartered away. Um, did not get like a did not get a pass through saw the arrow on uh his right side hanging out i'm like oh my god can i just have one time where i i just know that that deer is dead so i i got out i backed out of there and and didn't go look for blood or anything three hours later we went and attracted him for three quarters of a mile and uh we found him we got one lung nice 
dang, it was, dude. Yeah, it's, it was it was pretty it was pretty the track was pretty intense. Yeah, I I imagine, man, cuz that's I mean, as long as you set I mean, you had a, a couple of them come out. You watched them for a little bit, right? Like they you're like, "Oh, man, there's one. I'll shoot that one." And then it was like, "Oh, there's another one." You know, it's like and yeah. then you and then you pick one and then you're stuck at full draw and the and you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna get a shot and then it gives you the shot. You know, it's it's I always say that right after you release an arrow, you know, I'm, that's usually whenever I am the most nervous. Oh dude, I just I I wanted so bad to just start celebrating and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I I just yeah. couldn't. Because I was like, Man, I just I wanna see him go down and like that draw was the hill was so steep he cleared that draw and i thought he had did like the death run where you know you hard shot them their legs go out from under them they just bull rush down yeah i thought that's what he did and apparently he had way more life in him and he went yeah he went three quarters of a mile he followed a fence until the fence turned and he just laid down dang well i'm glad you found him because that was a hell of a buck yeah he was just 164 inches like just a i mean way more than i had ever ever dreamed i mean i told um everyone that i talked to about it like i didn't go out there targeting that animal i didn't go out there targeting that target like that caliber of animal that could have been 120 inch aim point he would have got the same treatment right right yeah man i mean stoked for i i've you're selling me on going to north dakota because now i'm kind of like man Instead of going elk hunting in September, maybe we should be going to North Dakota. Like, <laughs> listen, listen, Clint, I'm not, I'm not kidding. And North Dakota has been put on the map long before I found it, but that particular area is so unique because there is so much ground to hunt there, and mm. the rifle tags for residents are once every five years. If you don't own land, a resident can't hunt in North Dakota with a rifle. But once every five years. Wow. So it's like Iowa with residents and just the opportunities endless. And man, I'm telling you, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of great opportunities out there. Man. Yeah, we'll have to talk at some point. This might have to be because I don't have a, a Western trip planned for next year yet. I know I'm already, I mean, I'm not even through this year, but I'm already thinking about, you know, early season next year. And I don't have a, like an elk trip planned because uh, I have that hunt plan and that'll kick in probably like the year after that. So next year is like the one year that I don't have anything going on probably in the early fall. It just all depends on whether or not I would draw Iowa next year because then I would probably just kind of, that would be like, I would just kind of go live out there for the fall. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of, I think, is my plan. The next time I draw Iowa is to just literally grab the hoopty trailer, leave like the second week of October and kiss the wife and kid goodbye and be like, I'll be back before Thanksgiving. Dude, and that's all yeah. I can tell you. you know? <laughs> hell yeah. And then just work, you know, live and work from the trailer and then just hunt like a resident and, and chase cold fronts, you know what I mean? Chase good weather days and stuff like that and just, you know, work from the trailer. And then whenever I get like a good weather day, then I'm going to take a day off or two days off or whatever and just basically hunt those two months like that. Um, but, man, that's awesome. So I might I might need to get out there. I have to pick your brain about it at some point because it's definitely um, on the list. Yeah, it's a, it's a ton of fun. It, it's I uh, haven't hunted Iowa yet, haven't hunted Kansas yet, but right now it's uh it's my favorite place to hunt. It allows me to hunt the way I like to hunt, um, and the caliber of deer are pretty amazing. Nice. So I know you're a gear dude, man, to to change gears, you know. But you know, 
that being said, like you're still a minimalist, you know, nonetheless, like you like gear, but you like your gear to have function purpose and as multi uses as possible that we have to carry as little as, uh, as little as possible. So definitely I'm always kind of interested in my fellow kind of gear nerds. What is, what's the one piece of gear that has been something that you have come to really rely on, you know, and we can make it, we can make it anything. And then maybe I'll change the question after you, after you answer, but I'm just curious, like everyone usually has like that one piece. That's like their comfort piece. What's that one comfort piece for you? Do you mean as in clothing? No, just like in your, in your overall arsenal, right? It could be anything Like it could be a lucky rabbit's foot. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like whatever that one thing is, it gives you like peace of mind where it's like, when you have this piece of gear, this piece of gear, let, let you do so many things. It makes you so kind of comfortable or efficient or whatever that it's like the one piece that you're like, I can't live without this thing. I would say my bino harness equipped with my binos and my rangefinder. Yeah. yeah. Because the way, I mean, the way I, the style that I hunt and like a visual being so important to me and hunting on the ground and still hunting a lot, like I'm pulling my binos up every 10 seconds and I'm, okay. I'm scanning and glass and like that is, binos are 100 percent um if i don't have those with me i'm useless right what uh what binos are you using uh the maven uh c1s are just like the budget line okay ten, yeah. a 10 by 42 all right yeah i've got the i'm using the b1 i think or b2 i forget what they are like but the 10 by 42s in the b in the b series whatever that whatever that is awesome glass i i really like the maven stuff yeah i Um, have a a maven s1 spotting scope as well that's it's a little bit smaller spotting scope that you probably wouldn't want to take to colorado or somewhere out there but that that has um done a lot of good for me in my iowa scouting so far and in north dakota right the one thing i've contemplated especially for just like around here on in kansas i'm a little bit more on the fence it's just when i'm in a saddle i almost kind of want to have like another pair of binos that are just smaller like chads yeah that i can get away with like i know when he and i were in kansas like you know he was like man i wish i had (laughs) bigger binos you know (laughs) um you know and and mine worked out perfect out there you know 10 to 42 is like it was awesome you know but i feel like sometimes Whenever I'm on the East Coast here, hunting mainly in a saddle for the most part, or if I'm not, I'm not going to be able to look real far anyway. You know, a smaller set of binos, like way I get away with like a little smaller profile on my chest for it being in the saddle, would be would be helpful. Yeah, that that um, a little bit of bulk, like getting rid of a little bit of bulk in those scenarios, is definitely something yeah. that I, I wish I could do as well. Yeah. What bino harness are you using? This is the Outdoor Vision Gear Ridge Top Bino Harness. Okay. I really like it. It has functional pockets. Uh, it has like a rain pouch on the bottom of it. It has a little rain cover. You just zip it out. I keep my tags in there. It has the rangefinder pouch on the side of it, so my rangefinder is always accessible. Um, mm. I really like it. It's slim. Uh, doesn't make a lot of noise. Nice. I might have to check that out. I mean, I've been using a, a marsupial gear, like fully enclosed one. Very and I like it. Yeah. Okay. Is it? Because I I like it for out west, but it's almost like it's a little it's a little bulky, and like I've used in the past, I've had like a, a Sitka one. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. It, 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 it's probably five years old or something like that. It's not kind. It's not quite as rigid. It doesn't have quite as many pockets or bells and whistles. 
but I actually really like the size of it. Like it's not too big. You know, I just find it like the marsupial gear one is just a little, a little bulkier than I would like, I think for, for uh, being in a saddle. I haven't used the marsupial, so I, I, for sizing, I don't know for certain, but I would say functionality, it's, it's pretty similar. Like has right. the, has the full enclosed, it opens away from your face, which I think is like a huge yes. benefit that has to happen. But yeah. um, I mean, my binos like just fit in there. I can't mm -hmm. go any bigger on this. So okay. um, I'll send you a link to it. It might be something right, cool. worth checking out. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, because I, I like the Sitka one, only it, it has zippers and I don't like that. Yeah, that's yeah, I like, silly. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that's silly. <laughs> <laughs> zippers on your bino bivy, that's silly. Get out yeah. of here with that. <laughs> what, uh, so anything, uh, anything new in, a, in your gear repertoire that you've added for this year? Yeah, I just got it in the mail today. So, um, I went with a two-step ultimator on my first stick when I want to hunt sticks. Mm -hmm. And then this year I am going, so not totally one-sticking. I'm going two-sticking. Come on. Come to the, come to the dark side. I'm, I'm probably <laughs> going to eventually, but I'm going two-sticking, and I'm just running two of those two-step eighters on those two sticks. So it's basically like I have four sticks with me, but yeah. I only have to take two and yeah. i have found that to be really beneficial because like everyone wants to get to that point where they can carry the least amount of stuff obviously mm -hmm. and yep. i always find myself in scenarios where i just hunt on the ground and i don't want to yep. carry carry four sticks with me but i just haven't fully uh i haven't fully given one sticking enough thought or effort i just don't yeah i don't want to learn it right now yeah, it's uh, it takes a minute just to get used. To. It's not terribly hard. It's like once you do it a couple of times, you kind of get like, all right, you do this. Then it's like anything else. You, you go, you have a process, and you do it stepwise. It becomes it becomes easy. Um, but I will say this: like for a fella that likes to hunt on the ground and, and have options, especially if you're going out somewhere like on your Iowa trip, when you're going to be like boating it and like, hey found some deer tracks. Hey, I cut a big track. I'm going to go in here, you know, and you might need to get into a tree. You might not, you know, um, the one that's where the one sticking really kind of shines is in that kind of stuff. Cause you're carrying, you're carrying nothing with you. You know right. what I mean? And it still allows you to do everything that you, that you could possibly want to do in terms of a setup. Yeah. I so. think that's, that's where I, I want to eventually get. That's why I cut the other step out. You know, I'm still, I'm only taking two minis. So mm -hmm. I'm not taking a huge set of sticks. And the way they pack on my Sitka tool belt, like, I don't really know they're there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that – I'll just have to play with it. Like, I don't know that at taking one of those sticks off is going to be that much of a benefit to me. I, yeah. guess we'll, I guess we'll see. As opposed to taking whatever 40 foot of rope, you know, I guess yeah. when, when you weigh it out, it might end up being the same. It, it probably does end up being roughly the same. Actually, for me, it probably is – weight-wise – I'm probably better off taking two sticks because those tethered one sticks weigh nothing. Right. And 40 foot of rope, I promise you weigh, oh, I only use 30 foot of rope. I don't ever have a scenario wherever I'm, I'm ever going to get 35 foot to a tree. Sure. Um, you know, at least I don't think so. So I don't, you know, use the extra 10 feet of rope, but I could almost promise you 30 foot of a uh, Canyon, uh, Canyon four rope is going to weigh more than one of those tethered one sticks. So I'm yeah. probably lugging a little bit more weight. Um, I actually, this year I changed my pack this year, at least Did for you? right now. Yeah. Um, I went back 
you know, I've used a bunch of different different packs. I used a Sitka pack all last year. Just I always kind of default back to it at some point in the year just because it, it has a compartment for everything I'm going to take with me, and it's ideal. Um, but I actually went old school back to, like, a pack that I bought freaking years ago. It's the pack I've used forever to scout. I used to use it to hunt, and it is the Badlands tree stand pack. Really? Yeah. I actually went back to it this year because... I just wanted something that was like a smaller profile. And I was like, man, I just want something that I can fit the things that I need to fit in it, you know, and that's, and that's kind of it. And it has a water bladder, like a reservoir in it or reservoir holder in it. And I kind of went to using a water bladder instead of water bottles now, um, yep. just for convenience. Like, you know, I used to not like them, but now after using them a couple times, you know, Western hunting, it just, I'm like, it just makes sense. It's like one less thing to have to worry about falling out of my pack or, or whatever. Yep. And uh, and I don't know. I, I can just manage to fit everything in it and my my stick kind of adheres to the side nicely to where it's like it just it's tight and I don't have to worry about whether or not it's flapping around or not. And then whenever I go to throw rattling antlers on it, whenever I'm in Kansas or whatever, it's got a place to do that. And so it just kind of holds everything that I need and it's just the right amount of space. Or I can, you know, whenever I'm taking like a puffy insulation layer, I can just compression strap it to the side you know and i'm and i'm good to go you know so yeah that's the one thing i kind of changed up this year as i went back that thing looks like it's been through hell like <laughs> <laughs> like it's like some of the fabrics rubbed off in certain spots and stuff like that but it still works and it's uh does what i need it to do and it's it's lighter in a lower profile than my sitka pack so that's kind of why i moved back to it that's something like the pack is something that i still haven't found one that i'm like this is perfect like yeah the, the tool belt, I'm used the Sitka tool belt, and it's like it's nice, it functions right, but there's a lot of things that I change about it. Yeah. And I, I toyed around with the idea of running the marsupial lumbar belt mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then put it, putting a lumbar pack on that and then throwing the tethered uh, predator pack on mm-hmm. that and using that for my platform and then just t- attaching my sticks to the bottom of that. So I toyed with that as well. But yeah. I just don't have any reason to switch from the tool belt. Yeah, the one year I did I did rock the um, tethered predator pack during early season. Um and just attached with the compression straps that come with the uh with the, with the predator pack um attached my sticks to the bottom of it. And I rocked that for a while that way. The only thing that I ran into was just like when it got a little colder and I needed like an insulation layer or if I was, you know, trying to take camera gear, like I just couldn't manage to, to do that. That was where I had challenges um, with that. But there's some buddies of ours um, that are actually going to be coming out with a a pack um, probably this year that's uh, that I've managed to see some prototypes of that's pretty dope that I think yeah. is going to solve a lot of cell listen, hunters' problems. I listened listen to your podcast with them about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's I've I've gotten to put hands on it or not. Yeah, well, I technically I did put hands on it. Um, it wasn't mine, um, and had a chance to check it out, and it's it's pretty dope. It's it's all the stuff that I've been kind of trying to find and look for, and I'm like they they pretty much nailed it. Um, but the the tree stand pack will have to I think work for me for for the season at least. So, do you know if on that pack the sticks are going to attach? Can they attach to the bottom? I don't know to to be honest with you because like I said like I so when I say I got to put hands on it I got to kind of see it in in uh at the at the booth the one the in one Harrisburg yeah yeah and it was kind of under jackets like it it was Carl's yeah 
it was it was under jackets and stuff and i was like i was like oh hey look what's that you know <laughs> so um i got a little bit of like a, a sneak peek of it or whatever but it was still very much in, in prototype mode so you know i didn't necessarily go through all the bells and whistles and stuff that they're going to they're going to have but if we know those guys they'll yeah. they'll have you know they, they do a really good job of thinking through like you know all the possible kind of attachment points and things people are going to want to take with it and stuff like that so or attached to it and stuff like that so I'd, I'd imagine there'll be a slick way to to make sure you get all your shit in your pack 100 percent. so well cool man i know i've been i've kept you here almost like an hour and a half i want to be sensitive to your time what uh let people know where they can find out more about you where they can follow along with your season where they can find your content exodus content all that good stuff sure so i guess um Obviously, exodusoutdoorgear.com is the, the website. Uh, we have three different podcast platforms. We have the Exodus podcast, which is right now like top 10 in the wilderness category. So if you're looking for more whitetail content, uh, once you're done listening to Truth From The Stand, head over to the Exodus podcast. Uh, we have, I host the Deer Gear podcast on uh, the Exodus umbrella as well. That uploads on Fridays. Jake has the land podcast. And uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, that's where I post most of my updates. Uh, the handle is at Cam the Cameraman because I work for a camera company and I am the camera company's cameraman. <laughs> it's not just a clever name. Yep. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, hey, dude, I appreciate you coming on and uh, good luck in Iowa. I'm stoked for you. I'm looking forward to uh, getting full reports from both you. Uh, from both you and Chad this uh this fall see what you guys got shaking it should be a hoot man that's right man thanks brother all right folks that is a wrap for today's show i'd like to thank all of you for listening if you haven't yet please head over to itunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast and while you're at it head over to youtube and give us a sub there as well i'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me and before i shut this thing down i need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible tethered spartan forge Exodus and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.